Good morning, everyone. Let me ask you a question. Did you have a good summer? <laughs> it um, kind of seems to have gone by very, very quickly. Look what somebody left. A Phillies class. <laughs> That's, I won't comment about that. Seriously, a welcome, warm welcome to everyone who's here this morning, especially if you're visiting with us. And I noted, uh, I thought I saw several visitors. So if you're visiting with us this morning, if you would do us the favor simply raising your hand so that Pastor Kevin can give you a little bit of information about the church. He's got a packet of information for you. There's a little card to fill out. And if you would fill that out, put that in the offering plate later, then we can acknowledge your visit by letter. So just make sure you raise your hand. He'll find you and he'll get that information to you. Special welcome to... Reverend Allen and Ginny Grover this morning and their family. Would you stand so that we can find you? Because there are a lot of folks who are going to want to be finding you and greeting you. Welcome. If you, your row hasn't passed the friendship pad yet, if you would take care of that, pass it down, sign, and make sure you note the names of everybody in your row and be able to greet each other by name. That's one of our goals in doing that. Also, we'd like to encourage, as we do every week, for you to attend Bible school after the service. Uh, Bible school, a lot of different classes for all ages. If you're not sure where to go or what class might suit you, we have some very nice people who are in the back afterwards. Just go to the back to my left. Uh, there's a welcome center there. They'll be glad to help you to find the right class for you. Summer schedule of services will end today, next week. We return to two morning services at 8.15 and 11 with Bible school at 9.45. As you might imagine that because the fall is very, very quickly upon us, there are a lot of announcements in the bulletin. I want to highlight as many as I can, but um, th there's a lot to be read in the bulletin, so please be sure to do that. Please be sure to read both sides of the trustee finance report. Sometimes we look at the numbers and don't realize there's something on the back as well. Um, we have some, uh, some needs that are there that I'm, I'm very glad that Bill Harris, the chairman of our trustees, has informed us of. So often we will say we believe an informed and praying congregation will respond to any financial needs. So it's simply there for you to look at and pray about. Visitors, new members classes are starting next Sunday. It's an opportunity to learn about the church or even possibly joining the church. There's no obligation if you attend the classes to be joining. There are instructions in two places in the bulletin. There's a paragraph and then on the back there's another paragraph explaining why it may be to your benefit to join the church. So please read carefully through all of that. Also you can read more about the, in the bulletin about our change to the English Standard Version next Sunday. That will be taking place. You will find in the pew. ESV Bibles, and we'll be referring and referencing the ESV from the pulpit as we preach as well. Ladies, you've been hearing a lot about a Beth Moore simulcast on September 13th. Please understand this is kind of unique even for Beth Moore in one of her seminars that this is really going to be geared to those who don't know the Lord. There will be an invitation afterwards. There will be an opportunity for you to bring those who don't know the Lord. So we encourage you to do that. There are more details in the bulletin. The bulletin, though, says today is the deadline to sign up. It's actually next Sunday for the sign-up. 
but I'm sure the organizers would love you to sign up today. It makes it so much easier, especially when there's a lunch involved and other things to plan through. So try to take care of that today, but the deadline is actually next Sunday. Also, you'll read in the bulletin, we're going to attempt to take a picture, a photograph of the entire Bible school after the first service on September 14th. Some of us need that much notice to get ready for a picture. Um, so so uh, please note that. And then other things in the bulletin, there's a men's barbecue, there's a food bank need, there's grief share coming up, there's announcement for moms, and there's, there's so much more that is there. And we encourage you to look through the bulletin. And I have, I've only skimmed the surface, so look through. There are a lot of things that are, that are coming up. If you look in the order of service, there's a verse at the top of the order of service from Genesis 2.24. It says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Please join me in prayer as we think about the sanctity of marriage and we think about worshiping our God today together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for what we have to look forward to, the sanctity of marriage. May it be something that strengthens us as families and strengthens us as a body and glorifies you in the marriages that are here at Alden Union Church. Thank you for everything that's going to be taking place in this service now. It's all directed to you. You're the audience of one. You're the one that we're singing to. You're the one that we're thinking about. You're the one that we're responding to. And so we ask that in every way you would be pleased to be in our midst today. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm back again (laughs) because I wanted to introduce our next guest. Carol Schlorf grew up in France as an MK, was back and forth to Alden, spent some time here at Alden, and has been serving the Lord in Poland as a missionary for a lot of years. Carol's been staying with us for a little while now. She's soon to go back to Poland, and this is her chance to kind of say goodbye, say hello, say goodbye, whatever Carol wants to say. But we're delighted to have Carol with us. God bless. Well, good morning. Um, When I came back to the States in February, at the end of February, I knew that the time would go by quickly. I just didn't realize how quickly it would go by um, because my time is up already and I'm going back to Poland on September 4th, so that's Thursday. I came back, it wasn't a planned visit, it was something that the US government required connected with Social Security. I had to leave Poland for six months. But when I, when I realized back in Poland that there's no way to get out of this and I have to come back, I, I decided to focus this time to spend time with my parents. And, and if I could summarize this past six months, I would have to, in one word, I would have to say relationships. And of course, relationships with my parents, they're in uh, Calvary Homes. Many of you know them because they attended here for so many years, uh, but they're not doing too well. And, and so these past six months, basically, I spent half my time here, half my time there. And I got to know the road back and forth to Lancaster very well. Of course, um, it was, it's been a difficult time to be and see them, you know, a lot of you have gone through this or are going through this to see your parents go downhill. It's a difficult thing, but I really see the six months as a gift from the Lord to just be able to invest 
in them. And I don't know what the future holds, but I just see that this has been a real gift. But beyond relationships with my parents, it's been a, a time to make new friendships. It's been a time to reconnect with old friends. Um, I've seen some friends I hadn't seen in a long time, and we all happened to be in Pennsylvania at the same time. I think the record was some friends I hadn't seen in 25 years, and we were able to meet. So, so that's been a real blessing. Um, and, and, I, and I think I also go back to Poland refreshed spiritually, and it's been a time to just sort of um, focus on the Lord as well. So I see this time here as like a little gift from the Lord, care of the U.S. government, because it's not something I would have ever planned to do. But, you know, God can work all things for the, for the good. And even though I remember I was so upset when I realized there's no way to get out of this, now I see, okay, Lord, you know, you're in control of everything. Um, if, if there's one thing that I really have learned, it's, it's to really trust the Lord. And I don't think I've learned it. You know, I'm in the process of learning it, and I've learned it maybe a little more. Um, but, you know, being out at Calvary Homes with my parents, and that's a retirement community, and it's a nursing home, and seeing all that, it forced me to think about the future, and, and with that came a lot of fear, and I've just had to learn how to trust God and just put it in his hands. Um, but now I go back in September uh, 4th, as I said, on Thursday, and... So what, what do I have to look forward to? What's next for me? Well, um, at the end of the month, my English classes start. That's one of the ministries that I have, teaching English as an outreach. And so one of the things I'm going to be focusing on is getting all that up and running again, doing all the logistics connected with getting my classes started, uh, doing connecting with people, sending out invitations, doing everything connected with that. So that's one of the focuses. Another thing will be connecting and contacting the various people that I have Bible studies with on a one-to-one -one basis and try and get that started up again. Um, and so basically my focus will be just getting everything started up that had to stop when I came here. Um, but one thing that I would like to, maybe something new that I would, I'm going to explore, is I'd like to get my church, and I go to a small little Baptist church, um, and I'd like to get my church to have a food bank, and so that's something I'm going to explore, and um, I think the biggest obstacle would be a place to have it, but we'll see. Uh, actually, my church, I go to a small Baptist church, as I said, and we share a building with another Baptist church. We meet in the evening, they meet in the morning, and the pastor of the other Baptist church is my landlord who lives underneath me. So I'd like to get both of our churches involved in doing like something like a food bank. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, I'll probably have to start right away looking for a facility for a camp. That's another thing I do during the summers, get involved in, fam in um, English language camps as an evangelism tool. And while I'm on the topic, I, everyone feel invited to come to Poland. If you ever want to get involved in any kind of short-term ministry, um, feel invited. There's some people here who've come in the past, and it's not as bad as it sounds. Uh, it's not as scary as it sounds, but um, it'd be wonderful to have people from Alden come back and, um, and take, involved, take part of that. So I invite you all. Um, in closing, I'd like, 
I'd like to thank you and um, for taking such wonderful care of your missionaries. And while here, I've stayed at the manse, which is right next door. And you would think that being so close by, I would be on time at every worship service in the morning, but I can't say that that's happened, unfortunately. Um, you know, I got stuck in traffic, of course. Uh, but, but it's really been such a blessing to be able to stay there. Um, and also I've been able to use the church car and going back and forth to Lancaster. I don't know how I would do it without it. So you've been an incredible blessing to me. And I would like to express my, my great gratitude and my thanks. And really, words cannot express how thankful I am to you. And and also for all the friendly faces all the time whenever I come here, everyone's saying hi. And, and it's just been a wonderful experience and keep up the good work. But I really, really am so thankful to you. You have been an incredible blessing to me. And I just wanna make sure that you know that because that's, that's how I really feel. And even though I'm leaving, I'm sure this is not the last time we're gonna see each other because you know, I'm sure I'll be back, and so you can't get, a, can't get rid of me that quickly, that easily. But, um, but really, it's been a blessing to be here, and thank you. Thank you so much for your, for your kindness, for your care, and for everything you've done for me.
before you sit down, this is the last opportunity we're all going to be together for a little while. So let's make this opportunity to greet as many people as you can and share the love of the Lord together in these next few moments. Let's continue our worship of the Lord together now by turning to number 404 in the hymn book, and we'll sing the solid rock. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, the solid rock.
Good morning, everyone. First of all, I'm not responsible for this. I did not do it. I liked it, but I didn't. Um, it's interesting, I listened to Carol Schlarf a few minutes ago. Uh, I had the opportunity to go to Poland and visit her and her ministry with several others from the church. And it was a great, a great trip, a great time to see the ministry and what's being done there. And I would strongly suggest to anybody who's never done that uh, to give it a try and see what the work is being done and the people that she ministers to. And it's a great blessing. As we go to prayer this morning, we have several items on our prayer list. I'm going to be praying especially for our country this morning. I think we, we need to pray for our, our country. We are in difficult situations. Uh, things that are going on now that are not the things that we'd like to see, especially in our world here today, the laws that are being changed, things that we stood by and now seeing changed again and not to our benefit. Let me read you something which is on the, the, the outside of the, the um, courthouse in Cambridge, Massachusetts. This is what it says. God has given commandments unto men. From these commandments, men have formed laws by which to be governed. It is honorable and praiseworthy to faithfully serve the people by helping to administer these laws. If the laws are not enforced, the people are not well governed. Let's go to prayer. Our Father, we thank you again for this opportunity we have to come as a family before your throne. And we recognize that as we come before you this morning, we stand on holy ground. And we come, Father, because we have needs and wants this morning. We would pray for our country, Lord. We would pray for its safety. <clears throat> we would pray, Father, that you would help us to uh, live uh, by the laws that are put out for our benefit. And we pray for those who make the laws and those who um, administer the laws, the judges and uh, people of, uh, in Washington and areas of the state of Pennsylvania. They would recognize, Father, the need to follow the law as they have it and not for the benefit of votes. So we ask our Father that you would just work in the lives of these people who have responsibility for our country. We thank you for it. We thank you for the safety you have given us so far, and we pray for that continued safety, Father, as we go about our day. And Father, this morning as we pray, will we remember our military, and we thank thee for the men and women who are serving, who are protecting our country, and we ask our God that you would continue to keep them safe as possible. We pray especially this morning, our Father, for John Kenya and the United States Navy, Father, as he goes through these courses, and we ask our Father that you would just bless him as he works in the intelligence department. Father, we also would pray this morning for our college students. Many fathers, we know, as God has returned to school. And we ask for Jessica Taylor and Carolyn Tyler and all the others, Father, that have left and are now in school. We pray that those that they know you and love you would stand for you. And Father, they would be, uh, be a witness to those who are around them to know that Jesus Christ controls their lives. Father, we pray for Dave Gedrick, who's a leader this week. We thank you for the work that he does, Father, and the elders and on the Board of Missions. Thank you for the effort and time he puts in 
as he takes checks of the finances and necessary needs for our missionaries. And Father, this morning also as we pray, we remember J.K. Williams, who, Father, who leads our Explorer Girls. Father, what a wonderful ministry this is that these uh, J.K. and all the other women of this church who take the time to work with young girls, that they too may come to know Christ early in their lives and may be a blessing to those who are around them. We thank you again, Father, for this opportunity you've given us to give back to you a portion of what you've given to us. For Father, help us to remember that all that we have, all that we possess is by your hand. And so Father, help us to be generous in our giving, that your work may continue in this church. And we ask all this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
Well, I invite us all to stand as the children are dismissed and we'll continue to praise the Lord together this morning. Let's all stand.
said everybody loves a clown. It wasn't me. (laughs) Let's join together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, thank you again for your grace that's enough to cover everything in our lives. Thank you for your grace and your love and your mercy and your kindness and shown to us all the time. And thank you that even in an unlikely scripture as we have today, your grace is still all over it. So we thank you for that and thank you for what we're going to find here now. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn together to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be looking together at verses 31 and 32. We're going verse by verse through the Gospel of Matthew. Last week, as we dealt with adultery, I told you that probably that wouldn't make many people's top 100 topics that you'd like to hear about. This morning, we're going to talk about one that probably wouldn't make your top 200 topics you'd like to talk about, and that would be divorce. I'd like to uh, assure you, though, that God's grace is enough. And uh, we're going to see some statistics a little bit later on that are going to suggest the fact that many people in our congregation have been affected by divorce. This is a preventive message. This isn't meant to rub salt in anybody's wounds. This is meant for us to be moving ahead, looking at the sanctity of marriage the way that God has outlined it for us in his book, Understanding his grace covers the things of the past, and we're moving on from here. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 31. It has been said, Anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress, and anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. We've learned so far that Jesus did not come to abolish the law or the prophets. That's the Old Testament scriptures. Instead, he came to fulfill them or to fill full what was in the Old Testament. We looked at six ways that Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets. One of those six ways was by giving teaching that furthered or strengthened the intentions of the original commands or the way those original commands had now fallen in disfavor over the years. There are six examples of how he did this in Matthew chapter 5, and we've looked at two of them so far, murder and adultery. And this week we will look at the third example, divorce. We start out with a question. Is divorce a problem in our world today? Is divorce a problem in our nation today? In our church today? I think you would all agree with me, yes, It certainly is. 
Most people already know that around 50% of the marriages in the United States end in divorce. That's a very startling figure. That number is similarly high in many other developed nations. Statistics are always challenged. You'll find some people will say, well, no, it's not really 50%, but that's largely what we see when that statistic is ventured. 41% of first marriages end in divorce. 60% of second marriages end in divorce. 73% of third marriages end in divorce. And when you put all of those numbers together, it comes to about 50% of marriages that end in divorce. Would you like to hear me say that within Christendom, with those who are believers in Christ, that the numbers are much, much lower and they almost disappear? I'd love to tell you that, but I can't. The numbers are startlingly similar if you examine the statistics inside the evangelical camp and outside. Uh, Again, statistics can tell you a whole lot of things, and you can take a lot of directions with them. There are those who say it's not really as bad as it seems, but anything that happens is probably not what we would like to see, certainly. In America, there is one divorce approximately every 36 seconds. That's nearly 2,400 divorces per day, 16,800 divorces per week, and 876,000 divorces a year. The average length of a marriage that ends in divorce is eight years. People wait an average of three years after a divorce to remarry if they remarry. The average age for couples going through their first divorce is 30 years old. Is divorce a major problem in our world today? I think we would all have to agree, certainly it is. Not only divorce, but bad marriages those that maybe aren't a statistic, but what a couple is sharing together is simply an address in many cases. And marriage and the whole institution plus the relationship itself is in grave danger today. Divorce was also very prevalent in the first century. It's something so important that Jesus dealt directly with it on a number of occasions. Very simple outline this morning. First of all, Two verses we're dealing with. First verse, verse 31, it has been said. So Jesus is telling the people in the Sermon on the Mount, it has been said. What has been said? Well, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. Now that certificate of divorce was something that was very important for a a lady whose husband decided he didn't want to live with her anymore and wanted to be rid of her. That certificate gave her some protection that if she was in another relationship, she wasn't running around promiscuity, uh, promiscuity, whatever that word is. And um, it, it, made it, it made it safer for her and also gave her the license to remarry. But notice what's happening already in verse 31. Anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. The people are very content. If I want to get a divorce, all I've got to do is make sure I have the paperwork right. So if I get the paperwork right, everything else is okay. There's not a problem anywhere else. But where was that said anyway? Will you turn with me please to Deuteronomy chapter 24? Deuteronomy chapter 24. In the other cases we turn to the Ten Commandments, but this is from another place 
in the law of Moses, Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house, and if after she leaves his house she becomes the wife of another man, and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house, or if he dies, then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. That would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Do not bring sin upon the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Now the point that's being made here, we ask the question, what has been said? And then where was that said? And that was said in Deuteronomy chapter 24. And this is really saying that we don't want a man, even though he writes a certificate of divorce, sends his wife away, she goes and marries somebody else, and then that person sends her away, or she dies to come back to her again. We don't want to play musical chairs with marriage. That's the point that's being made here in Deuteronomy chapter 24. The certificate of divorce here is something that is almost incidental. If he does that, that was the practice. It's not commanded to do that, but that was the practice at that time. So if he does that and she goes off, she's not coming back again if she gets involved with another man, no matter what the circumstances. That's the point that's being made there. And it also says if he finds something about her that he concludes is indecent. What is indecent in that context? Well, it cannot mean adultery. That would have required the death penalty at that time, not sending her away and writing her a certificate. She would have been killed in that case. Indecent could have meant shameful behavior short of adultery. But some would argue it could mean whatever you wanted it to mean. Whatever any husband wanted it to mean, if he got tired of his wife for any reason, he could say there's an indecency in her and he could name it and it could be whatever he wanted to. That's how many of them believed at that particular time and even during the time of Christ. What does it mean a little bit later on when it talks about defiled? Uh, it's using strong language because God, God feels very strongly about this. In the Hebrew, it means disqualified by consummating a new union when there was no valid ground to end the first marriage. So the point that is being made here, first of all, the sanctity of marriage, it is not something that God wants to see people put on and take off a marriage like they do clothing. It's something that's very sacred, and it can be defiling if they play this musical chairs of marriage. There were two main schools of thought among the Jews at the time of Jesus. Those who followed Rabbi Shammai, Rabbi Shammai taught that there was only one cause for divorce, back to Deuteronomy 24. That one cause would have to be adultery. That was his view. But there were a lot of people who followed Rabbi Hillel, and his teaching was that there were multiple causes for divorce. He's the one that I alluded to earlier who was teaching and the people followed that anything the wife did that the husband found to be offensive or disagreeable could be cause for divorce. And in fact, in some of the Jewish literature, specifically it's mentioned, if he found someone more fair than his wife, that was a cause for divorce. Or, and I'm not exactly sure what this means, but if she ruined a dish, that could be like ruined a meal or dropped a dish, whatever the case might be. Uh, but in the Jewish writings, 
Rabbi Hillel had a lot of followers, and you can understand why, because people would want things as easy as possible, and his was the most liberal by far view, and uh, he's the one that, that a lot of people wanted to listen to, and so they did. It was a no-fault divorce, much more popular. The, the frivolity of reasons was something that was very prevalent at that time. It has been said... Well, that's what was said, Deuteronomy 24, and then the interpretations among the Jews, so that there were those at the time Jesus was giving the Sermon on the Mount who were believing that you could get a divorce for any cause whatsoever, it really didn't matter, and a few people were a little more conservative, and those people would say, no, it's got to be for adultery. But I tell you, I tell you, and that's verse 32. There's a misprint on our screen, but it's verse 32. But I tell you, and what was told, anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness basically sends her out into the world, pray to another marriage, to an adulterous situation because there's no legitimacy to sending someone away for any reason other than marital unfaithfulness. A couple of the translations, including the ESV, instead of saying marital unfaithfulness, will say sexual immorality. I believe that is a much, much better translation, sexual immorality, and we'll, we'll see about that in just a moment. Other translations call it unchastity or even fornication. But the point that is made here is that anyone who divorces for any reason other than this idea of marital unfaithfulness or sexual immorality can start a chain reaction of adultery. Because you send a wife off and she's, she's been divorced for a reason other than marital unfaithfulness, and somebody else marries her, that's adultery, and if that person's guilty of adultery, both of them in that situation, it starts a chain reaction of adultery. And Jesus is saying, we've got to regard the sanctity of marriage very, very carefully. This is the famous exception clause, except for marital unfaithfulness. It's here, and it's in Matthew chapter 19, verse 9. It permits one to divorce if the spouse is guilty of sexual immorality. Here's what one of the commentators has said. The exception clause, except for marital unfaithfulness, is understood in several ways by Bible scholars. Four of these ways are, A, it's a single act of adultery, B, unfaithfulness during the period of betrothal, C, marriage between near relatives, that would be an incestuous relationship, or D, continued promiscuity. And there are schools of thought and arguments on all sides of those. Uh, you'll see as we go through what I believe is the correct one of those without my attacking all of the other views. I, I won't take the time to do that this morning. I'd like to invite you, though, in the meantime, to turn with me to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew 19, when Jesus commented in greater length about this whole topic, Matthew 19, we'll pick up in verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Do you agree with Rabbi Hillel's interpretation? That's what they're asking him. Do you want to liberalize and open this thing up to any 
divorce at all, any, for any reason at all. And here's Jesus' response. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Do you see where Jesus is filling this full? He's fulfilling, filling full what was said in the law of Moses. Jesus is saying the way that it was from the beginning. Because in Genesis 2.24 it says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. To be united in, in both of the, the Hebrew and the Greek, as it's used in Genesis 24, as it's, or Deuteronomy 24, and it's used here in Matthew 19. It means an indissoluble union. If nothing else was said in all of the Bible about marriage, it's an indissoluble union. That would kill divorce right away. An indissoluble union. And then the two becoming one flesh, that does the same thing. In one verse, there are two ways that say marriage was meant from the very beginning to be permanent. That's God's ideal. That's the way that God wants it to be. So in Matthew chapter 19 here, we see this whole process that is, that is coming out for us. And it all revolves around that exception clause. And if you look at verse 9, anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. Unfaithfulness. It's the Greek word porneia. It's any sexual sin. If you were going to do an outline of this in Roman numerals, a Roman numeral, let's say it's number one, would be porneia, and then under that, A, B, C, D, E, would be a list of other sexual sins, any one of which would apply to the exception clause, which would include, but not be exclusive to adultery, fornication, prostitution, incestuous relationships, homosexual acts, bestiality, you name it, they would line up under porneia. That's the exception. So if somebody divorces his wife, sends her away for any reason other than sexual sin, what he's doing is he's opening up the situation to this serial adultery that might take place afterwards. That's the exception clause. That's permissible. And Jesus said that. If somebody divorces under those circumstances, that is certainly permissible. Is there any other exception? Well, I believe there is one other exception, and I believe that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15, and you don't need to turn to that. Let me, let me read that for you, though. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 15, we do see another exception. It is in the middle of a discussion about marriage and divorce and sending people back and forth, all that sort of thing, and here's what 7.15 says. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. It's talking about a believer married to an unbeliever. If the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. Now, it is possible that this was the same exception as in Matthew 5 and in Matthew 19, if leaving is tantamount to leaving for another person. If a believer is deserted by an unbeliever and he goes off to somebody else, well, that would be an adulterous situation anyway, and that would be the same exception that we have in Matthew 5 and 19. 
But I personally don't believe that it's limited to that. I think if a believer is deserted by a non-believer, uh, the believer is not obligated, as it says here, is not bound in that situation. So I, I would see two exception clauses, not one that has a couple of corollaries. But here's the point. If a husband divorces his wife for any other reason, incompatibility, irreconcilable differences, no common interests, he finds out she's a Dallas Cowboys fan or something, something really serious. Well, any other reason, he causes her to become an adulteress, it says, assuming that she remarries. I think that has to be there. In fact, one commentary put it, I think, very clearly. However, in the kingdom of Christ, whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. This does not mean that she automatically becomes an adulteress. It presupposes that having no means of support, she is forced to live with another man, either in marriage or without marriage. In so doing, she becomes an adulteress. Anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery as well. Now that's the teaching that we have in Matthew chapter 5 in these two verses that are here. What I would like to do is to relate this to a position paper that the elders of Alden Union Church have developed years ago. And I've got to tell you that I've been here a lot of years. We've discussed divorce, divorce and remarriage, service in the church as a result, remarriage, all the things that, that apply to this. We've discussed this many, many, many hours over the decades that I've been here. We've gone late at night. We've had agonizing times. We understand this is an issue that for many, many people, it's a tough, tough one. It's an emotional issue. And we've done the very, very best that we can do to be honest to the Scriptures, to come up with a policy that could easily be questioned by people all over the country, by religious scholars as well, but we believe that this is the way God led us, and we believe this not in a capricious manner, a quick study, but we've studied this issue over and over and over again over the years. So I'm going to share with you the guidelines for divorce and remarriage at Alden Union Church that were developed some time ago. And I'd like for us to be able to understand the church's position on this. First of all, Alden Union Church believes that God's ideal for marriage is the lifetime union of one man and one woman. I have to put a stress on it differently than I would have years ago. One man and one woman. That's what we believe. That's what the Bible teaches. And that's not just about one couple for a lifetime. That means one man and one woman. Back in Genesis chapter 2, I've already quoted from 2.24, but let's turn there together to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. I'd like for us to see what it was from the very beginning. So Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said it is not good for the man to be alone. You may remember that just prior to that, the Lord had created a lot of things. And you remember that at the end of everything he created, it said, and it was good. And it was good, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. And then it says, it is not good for the man to be alone. Had God made a mistake in his creation? No, I believe God wanted us to know very emphatically from the very beginning, male chauvinism is a lie. Male chauvinism is dead. There's nothing to it. He said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. He's making the part 
that fits. He's making the perfect counterpart. He's created a two-piece jigsaw puzzle that's incomplete without both pieces. So in this particular situation, and, and not taking anything away from the, the gift that God gives for singleness and for many people who choose to be single, but those who are married, it says here clearly, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Personal testimony, I can tell you this, it wouldn't be good for me to be alone. Those Home Alone movies, they could do a whole bunch of them on me if I were home alone. Um, not, not good in any, any situation. But let's keep reading verse 19. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused, caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the f place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. That's Matthew, or excuse me, Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 to 25. And then in Matthew chapter 19, verse 6, we've read that. Mark chapter 10, verses 2 to 12, says much the same thing, except for one reason or another. Mark does not include the exception clause. Uh, we could get into that, but we won't take time to do that. Luke chapter 16, verse 8. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 39, talks about marriage and being bound to that marriage until death. So the lifetime union of one man and one woman is something that's very clear in the scriptures. The way God feels about divorce, clearly stated in Malachi chapter 2, verse 16. Here's what God says about divorce. Tell me if this is ambiguous in any way. Tell me if there's something that's unclear about this. God says, I hate divorce. What do you think? Is he equivocating? Is it hard to figure out what he's saying? I hate divorce is what God says. That has always been what God has said in the Scriptures. However, because of sin and its consequences, God permitted divorce and remarriage as a concession. Jesus said, to the hardness of the human heart. Twice that's mentioned. That's in Deuteronomy and Matthew. It was never his ideal to even permit divorce. So, reading from our statement, Alden Union Church will always try to do whatever is possible to promote God's ideal. We will never counsel anyone to become divorced. In all instances of marital difficulty, reconciliation should be the believer's goal and should be pursued diligently. While attempting reconciliation, separation may sometimes be warranted, in particular where there is mental or physical abuse. We don't ask for anybody to stay in a relationship that is dangerous to that person or maybe to the children involved as well. Here again, every effort should be made to bring about repentance, healing, and reconciliation. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 to 11 teach us that. Next point that is made. Although we will not in any way encourage anyone to become divorced, we will do as God has done, allow it under very specific circumstances as follows. Divorce and remarriage are permissible for the offended spouse when a believing or unbelieving spouse enters into a state of sexual immorality. 
That's the exception clause. A second one, when a believing spouse is deserted by an unbelieving partner, divorce and remarriage are permissible. Part of that has to do with the violation of the unequal yoke. If somebody wanted to come back and he's an unbeliever, then that would be a violation of the unequal yoke, and I believe that's something that 1 Corinthians 7.15 has in mind as well. More from the statement. When a person is contemplating divorce for either of these two reasons, it is our desire whenever possible that he or she consult the pastor and an elder of the pastor's choice for advice. We just want to be sure to talk through all the issues with you with regard to that. Remarriage cannot be sanctioned if in the judgment of the council of elders the divorce is obtained for any reasons other than those two instances we stated before. In any situation where divorce, or divorce and remarriage has taken place, it is understood that all individuals should be made aware of the forgiveness that is so graciously granted by God for any sinful behavior that has resulted in repentance and confession to Him. No sin is unpardonable except the final rejection of Jesus Christ. And there are a number of scriptures that tell us about God's forgiveness. God's grace is enough. And I'd hate for anybody to walk out of here this morning looking back and saying, I failed back then. I know what God is saying now. We're not worried about what's behind. Forgetting the things that are behind, reaching forth to the things that are ahead. You're divorced, you're remarried, you're thinking, oh, was that wrong? Should I have not done that? That's not the point. The point is make the best of the marriage you're in right now. God's not calling you to leave that. God's saying make the best of it. There's a sanctity of marriage. Let's make sure that we're the best husbands we can be, the best wives that we can be. And we need to be willing to forgive and demonstrate love to those who have experienced God's forgiveness. Nobody's pointing any fingers at anybody else because all of us have sinned in many ways and in, in some cases there are those who will flagellate themselves the rest of their lives and God doesn't want that. Church members who violate the divorce guidelines established by the Council of Elders shall be disciplined in a manner consistent with the scriptures and the constitution of Alden Union Church. And that would involve a long process and the only idea behind that is restoration. It's not the to heap something on somebody who's already had a tough time. We have a policy with regard to service in the church. The church desires that the offices of pastor, pastoral assistants, elder, and trustee reflect the biblical ideal of marriage. No person who is divorced and remarried or is married to a divorced person whose previous husband was not remarried or deceased at the time of the marriage, therefore, may hold any of these offices. The reason for the standard is the stricter interpretation of the requirements set for those positions of leadership in 1 Timothy 3. Exceptions to this policy may be granted when the Council of Elders recognize significantly extenuating circumstances and by a vote of three-quarters of the full board agrees that this restriction does not apply to a particular circumstance. That's a grace clause. That is a clause that keeps us from being Pharisees. That is a clause that gives us the opportunity to examine something and say, were there extenuating circumstances that we believe mitigated this whole situation? Final question. Under what circumstances will Alden Union Church remarry individuals? Reconciliation of a marriage is the goal as long as it is possible. As a church, we want God's very best for all of our church members. We have chosen as an act of love to actively do whatever can be done to help to restore a marriage unless there is no longer any chance at all of reconciling it. Accordingly, to fully promote God's ideal for marriage, no persons may be remarried by Alden Union Church or by Alden Union Church staff unless their former spouse 
is either deceased or remarried. In those cases, there is no longer any chance of reconciling the marriage. In such cases, persons desiring to be remarried at Alden Union Church may do so at the discretion of the pastor in keeping with the other principles in the church's statement on divorce and remarriage. I'd like to close by asking you to turn with me to Malachi. We're in Matthew right now. Malachi is Matthew minus one, the last book of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter two, because I always desire to end with scripture. I don't want to end with a statement that fallible humans have put together, even though we did the best we could to make it consistent with God's word. But Malachi chapter two, verse 13. A series of indictments are being brought on God's people by his prophet Malachi, and here's one of the indictments. He says, another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. And they know that because his blessing is not with them at that particular time. So they're aware of what's going on. You ask why. Now let me stop here for just a minute. What's happening is, we would say it this way today, my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling back at me. God seems distant. God's aloof. God's not, God's not there. What's the matter? And the point is, God didn't move. The point is, there's something wrong. And here's what it is. He said, you ask why. Here's the reason why. It is because the Lord is acting as the witness between you and the wife of your youth, because you have broken faith with her. Though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant, that's a promise, unconditional, that involves God as well. Has not the Lord made them one? That's husband and wife. Has he not made a married couple one? In flesh and spirit, they are his. And why one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. I hate divorce says the Lord God of Israel. And I hate a man's covering himself with violence, or the, uh, the note says covering his wife with violence, as well as with his garments, says the Lord Almighty. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith. Pretty clear how God regards the sanctity of marriage. And here came Jesus. Jesus saying, it's not enough for you to say, I've got the piece of paper. I've got the certificate, so everything's okay. He says, no, that's not the way it was meant to be from the very beginning. And the way he meant it to be is the way we mean it to be. Let's pray together for each one of us that we'll be able to do that from this day forward. Heavenly Father, thank you for what Jesus said to fill full the law and to take the easy way out that some of these people were constantly looking for away from them. Marriage is hard work. The statistics are intimidating. But help us to regard marriage the same way you do. Help us to be faithful to the one that you've given to us. Help us to keep our vows. Help us to put a hedge of protection around our marriages. Help us to do this for your honor and praise and glory, knowing that whenever we do that, it's for our good as well. Thank you again, as we were singing earlier, your grace is enough for us. Thank you for your grace through this whole circumstance. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn to number 387 in closing. Number 387. And I'd like for us to sing just the first verse, but the message is there, oh, to be like thee. We want to be like 
our Lord. So number 387, first verse, O to be like thee. Let's stand together. Father, as we leave here, I trust into further instruction in your word, and then we go out into this world later on. May we do so, not being burdened by guilt of the past, having dealt with anything that took place then, confessed to anything that we needed to to you and received your forgiveness, and then being able to go on from there, reaching forth for the mark, for the prize of the high calling you have for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And may for each one of us today be the first day of the rest of our great lives in you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.